0: Welcome to the Navigating Cancer Together podcast. My name is Talaya Dindy I'm an 11-year cancer thriver, cancer doula, and owner of On The Other Side. I use my experience to help others get on the other side of cancer. Gaps between the guidance, emotional support, and education that are needed and what one receives can be huge. This podcast fills those gaps by sharing stories, resources, and information about all things related to cancer and wellness. I interview guests from all walks of life who are living with cancer caregivers, and those who are thriving on the other side. Also, I talk with organizations, healthcare professionals, and experts in the health and wellness spaces who offer complementary and integrative care. Join me. We are in this together. Disclaimer. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and to inform. The podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. It is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professionals and is not intended for the use in the diagnosis or treatment of individual conditions. Guests who speak in a podcast express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions. Neither Telea Dendi, Navigating Cancer Together, On the Other Side LC, nor any of its affiliates endorses, supports, or opposes any treatment option or other matter discussed in a podcast. The mention of any product, service, organization, activity, or therapy on a podcast should not be construed as an endorsement. Hello, everyone. This is Talaya Dindi from On the Other Side Life, and you're listening to the Navigating Cancer Together podcast, the show that has something for everyone facing cancer. Why? Because everyone is different with different needs, beliefs, and perspectives. Thank you for joining us for this episode. I encourage you to open your minds and your hearts today. Our very special guest is Alexis Gladstone. Alexis is the founder of Intalead, a Chicago based consulting practice. Intalead designs strategies and programs to help clients develop current and next generation leaders by designing leadership strategies, delivering workshops, and engaging in one on one and group coaching. Alexis has a passion for encouraging and supporting women, helping them develop their confidence and increase their success. Alexis is a sought-after voice on the topics of women and leadership, and she helps her clients recruit, develop, and retain female talent. Alexis is also a two-time breast cancer survivor. Alexis, thank you so much for joining us today, and welcome.
1: Thank you for having me, Talea. I appreciate it.
0: It is my pleasure. As I mentioned, you are a two-time breast cancer survivor. Please tell us why it's important to you to share your story and then just walk us through, if you don't mind, your cancer journey.
1: Sure. I'm happy to. It became important to me to share because when I was first diagnosed seven years ago, I was pretty private about it. I didn't at first when the diagnosis first came in. Actually, when the testing was going on, I thought it was going to be nothing. I thought they found something on my mammogram. I thought it was just going to be like it had been in the past, that it was just going to be calcifications. And I wasn't worried about it at all. So the only people who knew about it when I finally got the diagnosis were people who had heard me complain about, oh, I have to go in for a biopsy that's going to turn out to be nothing. So I was really private about it at first. And then I got the diagnosis and went through the whole journey. That particular journey was my choice to have a bilateral mastectomy, I did need to remove one. So I chose to take both. When I would hear people talk about, women talk about being late on their mammogram, not getting their mammogram, all of that. I was like, I can actually be a voice of encouragement because my original tumors were found on my mammogram, just my regular annual. So that's when I became much more vocal about sharing my story and encouraging women to keep up with their mammograms and any other testing that we should be doing as women and as men, keep up with those tests diagnosis tests. So then fast forward to my surprise this year of my seven-year recurrence, it became even more important because if it could happen to me when I was less than 2% chance of a recurrence when it happened, then it's even to me more important that we talk about these things So that other people know that it can happen to any of us. It can happen to those of us. And I think statistic, I don't remember what it is, but most women who have their first diagnosis, there's no cancer in the family with breast cancer. So that's why it's really important for me to share, just to encourage people to A, get the test and B, to know that there's other people out there. There's other women with breast cancer. There's other people with cancers that they can rely on. They can talk to that they can lean on whatever the case may be. That's why it's really important for me.
0: Thank you so much. And I appreciate you opening up and sharing your story, Alexis, because you just mentioned something that's very critical, and that is staying on top of your cancer screenings, in your case, mammograms. I know there's a lot of busy career and professional women out there, and they just say, oh, I don't have time for that, or they think it's painful, whatever the case. But you are an example of how important it is to get those screenings and catch Anything that could be going wrong
1: sooner rather than later? I think I just heard the statistic that there's a third of the women, at least in the United States, I don't know if this is worldwide, a third of women are late on getting their mammogram due to the pandemic. And I'm assuming that might translate to other screenings of different kinds that you may know of. That is correct, Alexis. I
0: have heard the same thing that because of the pandemic, many people put that off because they simply had to. They weren't doing those kind of preventative screenings or they just couldn't get in, whatever the case may be. But what that is translating into, unfortunately, is more people being diagnosed at later stages, which Mm -hmm. is really sad.
1: Exactly. And I was really lucky because mine were both caught early, both the first diagnosis and this one was pretty much the same thing, just a little bit worse, but they were still in the grand scheme of things.
0: That's a blessing. You mentioned your psychic diagnosis, Alexis. What was it like when you got the news the second time?
1: First of all, because I had the double mastectomy and I did implant reconstruction, I wasn't getting mammograms because it's really hard to do the mammograms. So I was just seeing my oncologist every year. And that was, as she said, I'm like your annual mammogram, Mm -hmm. how she put it to me. So when I actually found my tumor this time, it was not found by someone else. It was not found on any screening. I actually felt a lump. I thought it was possibly just a muscle knot from working out because my implants are under my muscle. Yes. So I wasn't that worried about it when I first felt it. I was like, oh, because I'd worked out really hard. I was like, oh, I have a knot, whatever. But when it was there again, maybe a month later, I wasn't paying attention a lot to timing because I, again, wasn't worried about it. Was never worried about having a recurrence actually. So it never crossed my mind until after about three months, it was still there and it didn't feel any different. I called my surgeon. I said, I have this lump. I think it needs to be checked out. So she sent me for an ultrasound and then I met with her. The ultrasound was in, Conclusive. She said, We'll do a biopsy. I think it's fat necrosis. That was her response to me. I said, Okay. It's common. Uh, it's very common. So my gut told me no. My gut was telling me, no, this is not fat necrosis. So a couple of weeks later, I had the mammogram. And when she called me, I remember it was a Monday morning because I remember having to wait. I hadn't heard from her by Friday. I'm like, oh gosh, Uh-oh. I know it has to be back soon. So when I hadn't heard from her, I was like, now I have to wait the weekend. So she did. She called me at 7.30 on a Monday morning. I knew it was her because she's in my phone seven years later. And she's, I can't believe I'm telling you this, but it's cancer again. My response to her was, are you effing kidding me? That's exactly what I said to her. And she's like, Mm -hmm. no. And I'm really surprised. I said, and you told me that seven years ago, you were really surprised. So yeah, so it was a total shock. Even though my gut told me it was more than fat necrosis, it's still to hear it. When you're told that you're less than 2% chance, no cancer in the family, nothing, you know, I have two older sisters. Wow. I was, yeah, I don't even know how to, I try and forget how I felt because I feel like I'm finally moving past it. It was incredibly disheartening for lack of a better term.
0: Alexis, was there any correlation to the previous breast cancer you had? What was their thought as to why this was occurring again?
1: That's never been, you know, even though I've asked, it's just like one of those things. Chose Mm -hmm. not to treat me with any AI inhibitor tamoxifen the first time, because again, such low risk. And I chose to take both breasts. And by the way, it was a recurrence. It was in the same breast. It wasn't in the opposite breast. My oncologist actually said, I'm going to look at this as a new occurrence versus Mm -hmm. a recurrence. So she did the testing on it, just like the oncotype testing, which they do on The tumors for the genetics and to see how it might respond to chemo. So she did that again, just to make sure that there was nothing missed from the first time. My theory, I'm obviously not a doctor. My theory Mm -hmm. is there's probably something still left in there in the little bit of breast tissue I had that just decided it wanted to grow. I don't know.
0: Yeah. How does that uncertainty make you feel? Because it's like when you're going through cancer, there's so much uncertainty. You don't know if the treatment or the surgery is gonna work. And then once you get past it, then something else comes up. And how does that make you feel, that uncertainty?
1: It's funny because I've been talking about this a lot. One of the things I was gonna share is make sure you have a good therapist. I've been talking about yeah. this a lot with my therapist is again, it was 2% that time right now, based on the Oncotype test for a distant occurrence, if I don't take an AI inhibitor, I'm at 12%. If I do take one, I'm at six percent. To me, those numbers just are so small to me, the six to the twelve to six, because I was already at two. So in terms of how does it make me feel, I just I don't sit there and think about it. I'm not one of those people that think, oh my gosh, I'm gonna get it again. It mm-hmm. Didn't occur to me after the first time. The first time to me, it was one and done. And I've been talking to my therapist. I don't have that fear. I don't know why, but I don't. And I'm grateful to not have it. And maybe because it was caught so early both times, but that fear doesn't live in me.
0: Yeah, I love that. I think that's so important, Alexis, because you've, in a sense, what I'm hearing is you're saying that even though I've been impacted by cancer twice, it doesn't define me and I'm going to go on and live my life. And that's what I really love about you and your story is that you're not allowing it to dampen your spirit or hinder you from moving forward.
1: I appreciate that. I don't always feel that way in terms of being able to move forward because I think I've still, as I've been told, it's like, it's only been whatever I'm going on about eight months now. I feel like it should be done. So yes, but I'm not letting it define me or make me fearful of the future even though I'm still dealing with my feelings about having it again, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I can kind of separate the two, I guess.
0: Yes, that's very good. It's so important, as you mentioned, for your mental health. One thing I want to go back to, Alexis, was you mentioned some treatments. Were you given anything else besides doing the surgeries? Did you have to do radiation
1: or anything like that? The first time, no. They just did the mastectomy, and so it was one and done, which I think that's one of the reasons I'm struggling this time a little bit, because all I had to do was recover from the surgery. Okay. This time, they did, first of all, they threw every battery of tests at me after I was diagnosed, your bone scans and your MRIs and your CT scans, which we didn't, again... Didn't do the first time because it was so contained. They did do the sentinel node biopsy before the surgery. It was a previous surgery. And once it was clear of the nodes, there was no other treatment. So this was the battery of all the tests. Then I did have a lumpectomy and another node biopsy. That was a single surgery. I did end up having to have emergency surgery. Eight days later, 10 days later, I had ended up with a hematoma. So they had to go in and take care of that. So I did have two surgeries in 10 days. So that was a little overwhelming. And then I had radiation for okay. 20 rounds of radiation, which I am um, have the aftermaths of right now that I'm working through. So that's what this time is. And then I've been prescribed an aromatase inhibitor okay. five years.
0: Thank you for sharing that, Alexis. As you mentioned, eight months is really not that much time after you've been through so much and your body's been through so much. Just pace yourself and give yourself that grace. I know it's like you just want it to be over, but giving yourself that grace and taking your time is part of the process of healing as well.
1: For those of us with very low patience, it's really hard.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I hear that a lot. Yes, it's like I'm I'm sure sure you do. Alexis, you've shared some of the things that you've learned along the way. What are some other things that you've learned during your cancer journey? And what do you wish you had known about cancer or cancer treatment before your diagnosis?
1: Oh, wow. What do I wish I had known about cancer treatment? I wish I had known not not so much about the treatment or the diagnosis, but I wish I had known to reach out to be willing to talk to a lot of different people who had different journeys yeah. Because you always get bits of information that makes you go, oh, I hadn't thought of that. Or, oh, that's a great question I haven't asked my team. Those little things I think are really important. And I understand that there's a lot of people who are private and it's hard for them to talk about. But I do think if I had done more of that, I did a little bit of it, but I didn't do a lot of it the first time around. Tried to do a little bit more this time, although I was probably a little more in shock this time, I think. Mm -hmm. I understand that. Also, in terms of diagnosis, again, I really thought I was prepared to go in every time I went in to see one of the different doctors with all the different questions. And that's what I did. I would go in with all the different questions I could think of, even if I thought they were stupid, you Mm -hmm. know, questions. I still went in with them. There's probably some that I even should have more asked. So, again, doing a little more research, there's the good and the bad of the Internet. You can find all kinds of things, but you can also go down a rabbit hole. I also wish I had found somebody like you, like a cancer coach earlier than I did, because I think it would have helped me work through and have those different questions and those different things. So those are some of the things more medically. Other things I learned along the way were about the journey itself, things like Have a sense of humor when you can. I know it's not always easy, but if you can find the funny things and things that happen and laugh about it, I know laughter is such that's good medicine. Like the friend who was with me the day of my lumpectomy and took me home, the car she drives is orange. When she went to go get the car and I was taken down and the woman taking me down was so excited to see an orange car because she loves orange cars. She just left me on the sidewalk and my friend and I, we were laughing about it. So just little thing, any little things you can find in the journey to laugh about, I think is really good. The other thing, I think one of the harder learnings is to not expect things of people you think are going to be there. Mm-hmm. Think you're going to be surprised of who shows up in how they show up and who doesn't show up for whatever reason. And you can't take that personally, but don't be surprised because it's going to, it's happened to me both times. And even though I knew it coming in this time, it still shocked me.
0: You just gave me chills, Alexis. Because that is a tough thing to really accept and not really lull over too much. But it hurts um, Mm -hmm. because, like you said, there are people that you expected to be there. And I experienced the same thing. It was like, wow, there were a number of people I expected to be there. But the blessing in it all was that people showed up. It doesn't matter who they were. They showed Mm -hmm. up for me still. And I had to learn to let that go Mm -hmm. because holding on to that hurt and that anger, it wasn't really helping me heal. It was actually hindering it. And then I had to say, I don't know what they were thinking. I don't know why I can't spend too much time on that. But you're right, Alexis, that is something to expect.
1: It is. And it's funny because I late joined like some Facebook groups more because I wanted to see what other people were using for radiation treatment in terms of creams and that type of thing. But that came up a lot in a lot of the different discussions. And sometimes it's not that they don't show up, but it's how they show up. So I think the other piece is if there are things you need or want or things you don't need or don't want, you need to be really good about saying it. Because some people will show up in the way that they think you need or the way that makes them feel good. And that's not always going to be the best for you. Then you're dealing with either getting ready for treatment or healing from treatment or in treatment. And you don't want that on you too. So I'm not one that's good to say, oh, yeah, I need this right now. Because a lot of times by the time I think I want something or need something, it's, I, can, I can't ask that person. It's inconvenient or what, whatever the case may be. But if you can give people tasks and little things to do, those who want to help but not necessarily are helping in the best way for you.
0: Thank you for sharing that, Alexis. Transitioning from that, in addition to what you just mentioned, are there some other ways that you handled going through cancer twice as a single woman? I know you mentioned talking with a therapist and being a part of Facebook groups. Are there some other things that you've done? I think
1: for single women and potentially, I don't know, probably single men too, we're very self-reliant. So relying on others, as you just said, relying on people and having them show up and do things, the ones that do and letting them. So being able to accept that and rely on the generosity of others, that first time around was very hard for me. It was a lot easier for me this time. So that's one thing. So doing that and then just find that group, find that team, whoever that is, whether it's a team of two, a team of 10, some people have vast networks of their inner circle. Some people like me have a very small inner circle, but find that group. And it might be some people you never expected, like you were just (laughs) saying to Leah, but find them and rely on them. I think that's so important. And don't be afraid to ask and look foolish. The first time around, I was living in a con no building. And I was getting dressed. I was post-surgery, post-healing. I was getting dressed to go to actually a charity event. I was feeling up to it if somebody was picking me up and was going to go to this event. And I was getting dressed and I was like, okay, I can't lift my arms over my head. I can step into this dress. And all of a sudden I was like, I can't zip it because I can't reach behind. So I go walking downstairs to some neighbors of mine, a male couple, and knock on the door and turn around and say, one of you zip my dress. So you have to find those people and that humor and you have to find those things. So those are the things you have to do. You just have to ask for those things. And it's hard when you're single.
0: That's a great example, Alexis, because that's not something that we would think about being able to zip our dress. And I love that you just said, hey, this is the help that I need. I'm going to go ask a neighbor and you got what you needed. And I'm sure they were more
1: than happy to help you. They were embarrassed, but yes, they were fine. <laughs> they were <laughs> able to do it. And that's the other thing, prepare your house. If you're having a surgery and there's things you're not going to be able to do, prepare your house. After a mastectomy, you can't lift your arms. So I had a set of dishes, a couple set of dishes on my countertop because once no staying with me anymore, I could reach those. So all those little things you have to prepare your house for too, to allow you to be independent when you need to do something and nobody's around.
0: That's great advice, Alexis. Were there any other big challenges that you faced post-treatment?
1: Not the first time. The first time the healing was a little bit, um, you know, anytime you have a surgery, the nerve ending healing that takes place can be a little wonky and a little strange. So I had a little bit with that and got into occupational therapy. Again, this time it was just trying to get through more of the emotional side of things versus the physical side. And because I think it is the second time, especially when you weren't even thinking about it, again, not even on my radar, those types of things of being willing and able to do that. But other than that, no, nothing I can think of. You just
0: brought up a great point, Alexis. There is a difference. There is that emotional healing and then that physical healing. When we're going through it, a lot of times we don't even think about that emotional healing until it pops up and it's right there in our face. And we're trying to figure out what to do with it, who to talk to. That's why it's so important for people like you to come on and share what your experience has been like, because it gives people something to think about who are on their cancer journey. Hey, I need to take care of my emotional health.
1: Absolutely. I did it a little. It was funny. Seven years ago, I was actually okay until I met with my oncologist and found out I didn't need any further treatment. No chemo, no medication or anything. That's when I finally breathed and Mm -hmm. took that breath. That's Mm -hmm. when the emotionally hit me. So I talked with somebody a little bit seven years ago. This time, I didn't start by talking to somebody. I, I did at one point When I was waiting for the Oncotype test to come back because I had to wait a month for that. And that was to decide if I needed chemo before radiation. And that was a shock to me that was even going to be considered. So I did reach out and start and talk to the same therapist again. And then I stopped once I found out no chemo and just radiation. But I felt like I was still stuck. Yeah so that's when I decided I needed to try it again. And so I've reached out and found a different therapist. And just recently, if you think you need a therapist, one of my words of advice for anyone, start trying to find someone early because it's really hard to find somebody that everybody's really booked up. There's a lot of people that don't have capacity to take on new patients. And for those of us who have done it, we know you're not going to click with everybody. You might not click with the first person you try. So Mm -hmm. that's something I would strongly encourage anybody who thinks they want that support to do, because that's what I didn't do. I didn't start looking until I was like, okay, I really do need to look. And then it was still a while before I found somebody and was able to start.
0: That's great advice, Alexis. Everything that you mentioned is true. They are booked up. There's simply not enough therapists. And you also made another great point. The first person or even the second person you talk to may not be a good fit. So that is an exploration in itself is finding that right fit because that's what's going to help you really get the most out of it is finding that right fit. Another question I have, Alexis, is where you had your cancer treatment and surgery and things like that, did they have any in-house services for you to support your mental health or did you have to go out and find those on your own?
1: It's funny you ask that. They do, which I didn't actually know at first until I asked. Unfortunately, that group of providers didn't take my insurance. Okay, So it wasn't going to work for me. That's why I went out and found it on my own. It was just a fluke that they were the rest of the hospital and they're all my other buyers are. But the behavioral health group did not take my insurance. But yes, I was at a hospital. There is some of it. I think there's other hospitals and other locations that really it's like you're diagnosed as here are the resources. Buying wasn't like that so i didn't know about all the resources i knew i could get occupational therapy and things like that but i do think one of the things i think we're talking about is western medicine we're great at treating the cancer and it's great at treating whatever it is but we need to look at ourselves as whole people and treat ourselves yeah and that's what you do and mm-hmm. what you helped with and we have to do it nobody's going to do it for us we need to Nobody. do it ourselves and that's one a huge learning for me
0: Yeah. I like to encourage people and you said it perfectly, Alexis, encourage people to look at your whole life. And when you get that diagnosis, even before just realize that it can and most likely will impact every area of your life, your spiritual, emotional, physical relationships, work, finances, Everything. And that was one thing that I really wasn't prepared for. They just don't talk about it, but it's more than the physical is my point when it comes to cancer.
1: Absolutely. I mean, for me, not only am I single, Mm -hmm. I have my own business. I don't work. I don't have an income. I don't have short-term and long-term disability or any of that. So it's hard for me to take time away because if I take time away, I don't have money coming in from my clients because I get paid by the work I do. Yeah, you do have to think about all of those things and look at all of those things.
0: Alexis, are there any resources that you recommend that helped you along the way?
1: I was late in the game of, you know, even knowing there was such thing as a you as a cancer coach. There are individuals like you that I wish I had found earlier, because it's a different conversation than a therapist. And having both, I think is amazing. I just happen to be talking to somebody about something very specific in my journey and some decisions I'm trying to make, but trying and find those resources. I do know there's a lot out there on the internet, but a lot of it's scary. You have to pick and choose. So I really chose not to do a lot. I would go to really reputable sources. I'd go to the American Cancer Society because it was breast cancer. I wouldn't. Looked at things on Sloan Kettering or MD Anderson. I went to like cancer hospital resources to find out some of the details. If you join a Facebook group or other groups like that, I think you have to be careful that you don't get sucked into the vortex, so to speak, because for those of us who are empaths, we can get pulled into other people's stories and yes. we need to be focused on our story.
0: And that's not selfish. That is protecting no. yourself and taking care of yourself. Thank you for sharing that.
1: And I love what you just said. You're not being selfish with anything you do. Even if you feel that way, for those of us who feel selfish or guilty or whatever the case may be, you're not because it's you. That's
0: right. You said it earlier. You have to do it for yourself.
1: One other thought that I had was everyone's going to have an opinion. Your friends are going to have opinions. Not everybody, but there's a lot of your friends that are going to have opinions. It's still you and it's your decisions or you and your love or however you're making your decisions, whether it's you or you're making it with your loved ones or whatever, but it's still your decisions and not everybody else's. So take everyone's advice or their perspective, how is best for you to take it? That was a a huge learning.
0: Excellent, excellent advice, Alexis. That can be tough for some people that are really close to their family and things like that. They don't want to let them down and all these different things. But what you said is spot on, Alexis. Thank you for sharing that. And of course, we want to talk about Intel Please tell us more about Intel and how your organization can help women, especially women who are returning to work after cancer treatment.
1: What I do, is, you said in the intro, I am about developing leadership skills. And leadership skills doesn't mean that you have a group of people you're responsible for. We are all leaders in our own way. Whether we lead ourselves, people are always watching us. Whether we know it or not, we're influencing people. So that's what I would say when we're leaders. So when I talk to young people early in their career inside an organization, they're like, but I don't have a team. I'm not a leader. You are. We all are. So what I love doing is women, we have certain challenges with our careers that men don't always have. So helping those women through coaching, whether it's group coaching or individual coaching is one of the ways that I work with women. And then with, as you said, I work with organizations who are actually trying to develop their pipeline of female talent and their pipeline of women and leaders, or find places to recruit them. There's a lot of industries that are very male dominated. So the way I think now for in my coaching, I have a different perspective that I can give women to help them. I really am a coach when it comes to their career, not their quote unquote, because there are life coaches. That's not me. Mine's really career focused, but I do have now that perspective of helping them navigate anything that they might be running into when it comes to going back into the workforce or working while they're going through treatment or anything like that. Just more of a perspective from that standpoint.
0: I really love how you said you don't have to be leading a team to be a leader. Honestly, when I was reading your bio and learning more about what you do, that didn't even occur to me. I just want to thank you for putting out there because I know that what you just said will speak to a lot of people, a lot of the listeners, just the same way it did to me, that you don't have to be leading other people to be a leader. I love that.
1: Absolutely.
0: Is there anything else, Alexis, that you'd like to share about Intellead? Please tell the audience where they can find you
1: and learn more about Intellead. If anybody's interested, the website is interlead.com and that's I-N-T-E-L-E-A-D.com. I'm on LinkedIn and I'm very active on LinkedIn. So if anybody wants to reach out, I did just recently post, I don't know, about four or five years ago, I wrote a blog about leadership lessons. That I learned while having breast cancer and going through breast cancer. And I repost it every year on LinkedIn just because I use it as a way to get the message out because somebody always reaches out to me independently to say thank you or I'm going through this or my wife is going through this or something. So this was very helpful. And I also use it as my PSA announcement to please get your mammogram or please encourage those in your life who may not have gotten their mammogram to get their mammogram. So I repost it every year and that's on my website under the blogs. Those are probably the two best places to find me.
0: Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. I will share that information in the listen notes so the audience can easily find you, Alexis. Before we end, I like to ask my guests these two questions. The first one is, what do people often misunderstand about you? If you can't think of anything, that's okay. But this question has been stumping people.
1: I think people misunderstand that although I built a successful business and I've been successful as an entrepreneur, that I sometimes need help and needing help along this journey is a perfect example. So I think people misunderstand that we're all strong in our own ways, but in certain ways, I'm not as strong on all aspects of my life as people think I am.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. That has been a common theme for women and men too, who have always been that helper, have been that independent person. And when it comes to a time when they need help, it's almost like people are shocked and surprised, (laughs) but it's like, no, I'm human too. I need help from time to time as well. Finally, Alexis, if you could live anywhere in the world, where would
1: it be and why? Oh, wow. My favorite city in the world is Paris. I don't speak French anymore. I knew French in high school and stuff, but there's just something magical to me about the city and the energy of the city. Not that I don't like Chicago, except for the winters.
0: Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can relate. I
1: think maybe it's because I've been dreaming about taking a vacation to Paris. Maybe that's why that's top of mind.
0: I hope you get to take that vacation and enjoy Paris again. Thank and you. Alexis, before we end, is there anything else that you would like to share with the audience?
1: Nothing I want to share. I want to thank you for what you do. Thank you. Because I think you provide such an important voice and such an important, fill such an important need in the cancer community. So that's how I would like to end is thank you, Talea, for what you're doing and the voice and the voices you're amplifying.
0: Thank you, Alexis. That means so much. It's my absolute pleasure. And really, I feel like it's my duty to do this and elevate you, people like you, help you share your story and just try to be a resource. And you're doing that as well. So thank you for being my guest and taking the time to talk with me and my audience today. Thank you. Before we end today, I would like to give a shout out to the listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please share, follow, or subscribe so that you can easily find my podcast and listen again. That is it for this Wednesday. And until next time, let's keep navigating cancer together. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Navigating Cancer Together. I hope you enjoyed it. Please be sure to subscribe and if you enjoyed the show, please share or tell your friends and family about it. For notes from the show and previous episodes, visit ontheotherside.life and check out the podcast section. I would love it if you joined us for the next episode. Talk to you soon.